Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns, and I'm here to help you. I'm here to provide some, some give, as Yogi Berra would say, teach you some of my experience. I'm here to fill in the blanks when it comes down to strategies and techniques. We're here to try and offer some help to those who may have experienced trauma because of bullying, and we're here to create awareness about the epidemic because I don't think it gets taken seriously enough. As I've said in many other podcasts, bullying is everywhere, and I'll go over them again. Schools, communities, workplace, politics, It's everywhere. No matter where you go, you're hearing about someone who is harassed or intimidated or bullied. We have a report in the paper that's been going on for the last couple of weeks about the the, um, governor of New York, Andrew Cuomo, sexually harassing two women. And I can't understand why someone chooses to use their power to try and harass, sexually harass two women who are 40 years younger than him, he's young enough to be their father, and intimidate these poor young girls sexually. And I believe that, and you know, we don't have all the facts, but I don't know people that just come forward and start saying these things that they were sexually harassed, if in fact there wasn't some truth to it. Because nobody wants to be on the front page of the Daily News dealing with this stuff and have their names out there because they were sexually harassed. So there is truth to it. I know they say they have to do a full investigation and all the other stuff that they do, but in the final analysis, something happened And I believe that the governor, 
is going to be either removed from office or they're going to ask for his resignation because he's got too much stuff going on right now between lying about COVID deaths, now this situation, and then he's also been identified, and they've used the word in the news, a bully, and how he threatens people to ruin their career if, in fact, in this case, they came forward about the nursing home issue when it came down to the number of deaths that occurred in New York and the cover-up that ensued. So it happens in politics as well. And we have to be aware of it. We have to be aware of the far-reaching effects of bullying, harassment, and intimidation. Now, we have been going through a... This is the third in a three-part series that was called Our Schools Are Filled with Kryptonite. And we've covered... Ten of them so far, we're going to do the next five, the last five today. Number one was medical kryptonite. Number two was behavioral kryptonite, and that took into consideration disrespect and irresponsibility. So that was actually two and three. Number four, entitlement kryptonite, which deals with self-control. Number five, deceptive kryptonite on how we've lied to kids and how we continue to lie to them. Number seven is something that I call deceptive kryptonite. That was number seven. Number, uh, Number five. Number six is crazy kryptonite. I like you, but... Number seven, circumstantial kryptonite, where we deal with reasons and excuses. Number eight, cooperative kryptonite, where we deal with cooperative learning and its effect on independent thinkers. Nine was non-compliance kryptonite. And ten was desk-bound kryptonite, where I talk about playground politics. Now, we're going to get into 11 through 15 in a minute. But I I wanted to make you aware that no one talks about this stuff. No one considers it. It's happening all around us. And until someone comes forward and really starts to address some of the bigger issues that are going on in school today, we're going to continue to have difficulty with our students, and they usually manifest themselves in the area of behavior. That's where you usually find them. Kids are disrespectful and irresponsible and non-compliant to boot. So we have to take into consideration a lot of things. And for some reason or another, there always seems to be some type of a sweep going on where we take things and we throw them under the rug. And that's something that we have to start to take a look at. You know, everything isn't easy. Things are difficult. Things are hard to do. They're hard to do. And when you take the path to least resistance and you don't go for permanent help and you keep dealing with temporary relief, 
you're going to get the same thing that you've always gotten, which is kids who are discourteous, rude, they bully, they're disrespectful, and irresponsible. So let's really start to take a look at some of these things that are really happening. Now, number 11, there is no fear. And kids do not fear anything today. They don't. They fear, parents fear their kids more than kids fear their parents. And systemic discipline usually is just a slap on the wrist and, you know, by a dysfunctional schools that fight dysfunctional families. And while the whole thing is going on, the kids are laughing at us because they know there's not going to be any real consequence. And I call this one cocky kryptonite because kids walk around with no fear. Now, let me give you an illustration of something. I worked with a psychiatrist one time, and he told me, he said, before you can get a kid to change his behavior, there has to be a certain amount of fear. And this is a psychiatrist. This wasn't any namby-pamby stuff that was going on. He said, hey, look, you got, they have to fear something. And when I was in school... Okay, I, I thought that I was going to take over my father's business, which was a bar, which I didn't. He wanted me to go to college. So I went to college, and I got into three colleges by the skin of my teeth. And I ended up going to a state school, and I tried to tell my father not to waste his money. I get into this state school, the first semester that I'm there, I score a 1.0 cumulative average. One. I mean, they're getting ready to throw me out already, I, I, and I was only there for three months. And I told my father, I said, I told you I couldn't do it. And you know what he said to me? You better do it, because I'm selling this bar, I can't do it anymore, and... You know, you've got to figure out something that you're going to do with your life. Well, I felt a cold, harsh stripe go up my spine. And with the help of others and God, I made it through college. And I ended up graduating with a 2.9. Now, if you do the math, that's a lot of A's because it is hard to bring up a D to an A over the course of four years, but I did it. I did it. I was not a good student, but I had to work for what I wanted to get. And if there wasn't any fear, there wasn't any fear about what I was going to do for a living, and I just continued to go along the same path and never study and never work and expect that, you know, people were going to hand me stuff. I never, I wouldn't be doing this podcast right now. Because I've always considered myself, even when I was in administration, a happy blend of blue collar and white collar um, approaches to discipline and dealing with kids. It was when the schools started taking the blue collar out of it 
and they wanted to become so theoretical that what happened? We became so theoretical, we forgot about the fact that certain things in this universe are going to happen. You have a stimulus and a response, and there's going to be a response to the stimulus, and some of those stimuli might be negative. And if you don't have the right response, you're never going to change. And that's what's happening in school right now because they moved away from the blue-collar approach where you can sit down and talk to a kid, get them to respect you, and stop with the idea that you're so cocky that nothing's going to happen to you. There has to be a blue-collar approach along with the administrative credential that people earn so that they can move into educational administration, but the theories and philosophies that have come out of schools today are the things that are affecting how kids behave, and we've got to become aware of it. We think that if there's a theory, it's going to work. You know what? Theory may have worked many years ago, but we have compromised so much over the course of the last 40 years that the change was so incremental, it creeped up on us. Now we've got a monster. We have the Frankenstein monster, and that by that I mean the educational system and the kids and the parents that go along with it, and we've got to dismantle it. And, so, and what happened was we tried to fix what wasn't broken. And this is what we ended up with. Bullying, harassment, intimidation by adults now who were kids that were part of that change process and part of that uh, system of compromise. No fear, no discipline. Cocky kryptonite. Okay. Here comes number 12. No child left behind, or as I call it, off-track kryptonite. And, you know, I agree that no child should be left behind, but guess what? They all are. And kids don't leave the first grade on the first grade level because they all don't enter first grade at the same level. And by the time they hit the third grade, kids are already two years behind. And we've had multiple intelligences, differentiated instruction, inclusion, all great stuff, but truly they don't meet the needs of the students. All those levels in the same room with an overly ambitious curriculum, you know what? Everybody's being left behind. Now... I know they do this because they don't want to affect the kid's self-esteem. They put everybody in the same room. And, you know, we used to have something years ago that was called tracking. You know, you had a one, a two, a three, or a four track, or an A, B, C, or D track, or whatever the case may be. They do it in reading groups in, in um, classrooms now, where you have kids that are higher level, lower level, you know, and so on. But we used to track, you know, with, uh, we used to have kids in ones and twos and threes and fours. Then you had special ed, you had basic skill. And this is how they, 
they learned. And they weren't doing bad, but somebody came up with the idea that we're affecting the way kids look at themselves when they're in lower track. So what are you supposed to do? Put them in a higher track when they're not capable? But we did. We grouped everyone together. And if you don't think the kids in that classroom know who's, who's a one, who's a two, who's a three, and who's a four, you're not seeing things correctly. And I'm not saying that I want to affect the kid's self-esteem. I'm not saying I want to hurt a kid. All I'm saying is you put a kid into an environment where he's going to be successful. And I find it very hard to believe that one teacher can manage lesson plans for three or four different levels in their classroom. I think it's difficult. But we've gotten off track. And no child left behind left us with that. And what we have to do is we've got to start waking up to the fact that kids know what's going on in those classrooms. They don't need to be tracked. They're tracked right in the classroom. And they know it. So why, why are we doing it? It's weakening the system. Now, abstract 13. Parents need parenting. The question that comes up is, who's going to do it? And I have spoken to hundreds of parents about their children, and what I discovered was that they don't, the parents don't talk to their own kids, to their own parents. They lack discipline skills and are so angry and lost that they take out their rage on their own kids. You have three generations of dysfunction. You have the kid, you have the parent, and you have the grandparent. Everybody knows this, and you know what? They talk about it, but no one knows what to do with this disaster that's going on. We have adult children coming into schools arguing for their kids' weaknesses. And we have to treat those adult children, those parents who don't understand that they're supposed to be in charge and they're supposed to be the ones that set the standard. They come in and we almost have to discipline our own parents, uh, the parents that come in with their children. It is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Who's going to parent these parents? Maybe society has to parent the parents, but right now no one's doing it. No one. Everything will continue to fall apart. Hopefully someone will realize that all the wisdom and the guidance and direction and the support and love and affection were theirs for their taking, but see, parents, who are the, our parents that we deal with in schools, have turned their backs on their own parents. We don't use older folks as a means of helping us learn and let them teach us their experience. See, parents want help. 
but they want the wrong kind of help. They want somebody to fix their kid. And they need to find somebody to fix them. They don't realize that the people who can offer them the most help were put there naturally and are at their disposal for free, and that's their parents. And the question will always remain, who's going to parent these parents that need parenting? And schools have tried parenting programs. These programs don't work. They offer advice, but ultimately it's up to the parents to follow through. And the minute that their kids give them a hard time, they revert right back to blaming everybody else. And they start looking for more advice. So who's going to parent these parents? We're doing it right now. We're doing it right now. Now, I've combined two of them here at the end. And they're basically, they're basically uh, I call it abstract 14 and abstract 15. And they're combined in this. And what we want to understand is kids have lost their ability right now to get along. And are rapidly becoming adults who've matured physically but not mentally or emotionally. And society has been taught to disagree, society hasn't been taught to disagree, well, wait a minute, society has been taught to disagree with the wrong attitude. See, that's the thing. If I don't agree with you, I'm going to give you a hard time. See, and if we disagree on certain things, I'm not going to like you, and disagreements are things that get walked away from because of the fear of conflict. We don't know how to have productive conflict. And the idea that we can leave enough space between us for a disagreement is too hard to imagine. This idea of win-win can't happen. Because someone always has to win and someone always has to lose. And I'm not going to compromise with you. So the idea that we can't talk too loud. Because someone will hear even your whispers. And that'll get back to the wrong person like your boss who's going to muzzle you. And make sure that you always walk the line of political correctness. That's the problem. That's... Abstract 15, political correctness. Political correctness just merely means you agree with the majority. There's a majority that you can agree with. And we have, that's not something that everyone's going to do. It's not something everyone's going to do. Why, the majority could be wrong. And when we disagree at the, at the wrong time and with the wrong people, those people try to muzzle us. They don't want to hear it, and they try to muzzle us. And freedom of speech, freedom of speech is not the freedom to say what you want, but rather the wisdom to stay, say what you ought. And I stand by the definition. What I don't believe, though, 
is that someone should be beat over the head with the club of political correctness and never speak what's on his or her mind. And when a system, whether it's school, corporate, or political, can gain such control over its members that it holds them as mental and emotional hostages, the system has then muzzled its members and in reality has bullied them. To disagree with a system, any system, doesn't mean that we won't cooperate. It just means that our opinions and thoughts are different from those who are in charge. Two heads are better than one, and even more heads can make a bigger difference. But when an ego is so big that it believes that the only way is my way, change will never take place. Change will never take place, and a good listener, a good leader, listens way more than they speak, and they value the input of others. We have something that's called the adult bully. There's an adult bully, and this is what we're dealing with in our culture. And there's levels of fear and intimidation that keep welling up inside of us because we've never discovered how to manage and have productive conflict. Because if I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to do everything I can to shut you up. And that's where the problem lies. We cannot be muzzled by a system And we can't allow individuals to walk into our school and try to tell us what to do when we're the ones that are dealing with a classroom full of wild kids. So we are the ones that have to make adjustments. We have to understand that we can't be victimized by these adult bullies in a classroom. And we certainly can't be muzzled by the system that we work for. We have to have the ability to speak our mind and to seek out change when it's necessary. And we've made changes. We've made changes, but they've gone in the wrong direction. And what we have to do is understand the compromises that we've made, how we've gotten to this point. We have to seek out permanent help, not temporary relief. And then what we have to do is we have to begin to change intergenerationally. And just like it took 30 to 40 years to get into this position, it could take us a long time to get out of it. But with the right help, the right attitude, and the right people, it can be done. Our schools are filled with kryptonite. And truly, there's several things that are weakening, that are weakening the, the climate, the behavior, and the attitude of everyone that works inside a building that's called a school. My name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I'm going to have the book, Our Schools Are Filled With Kryptonite, uh, in the episode description. Take the time 
to subscribe to the anti-bullying uh, premium podcast. Just do it, you know, and take a look at our store because there's a ton of stuff in there that you can use in your classroom or you can refer a teacher if you're a parent to take a look at the at the website. These podcasts don't run on their own and I'm, you know, it's like, hey, you know what? I'm looking for money to make sure that the podcasts continue to improve. But... You know what? Anti-Bullying 101 has been around for three years as a podcast. I'm very proud of some of the stuff that we've communicated. I'm very proud of some of the people that we've interviewed. And I look to you, my listening audience, and I know I have one, to do what they can and make the effort to try and support the podcast so we can continue to get a solid message out there that bullying is wrong and it won't be tolerated. Once again, my name is Jim Burns. You've been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I'll see you in the next episode. That'll be next week at this time. Until then, have a great week, everybody.